What's up, ladies? Welcome to the Urban Christian Woman Podcast, where we seek to restore women with God's truth for their everyday lives. I'm Tashika Oliver. And I'm Leah Ross, and we're your hosts. This is season four. This season, we've got some exciting things in store. So join us as we study God's word, celebrate women living faithfully on mission, and dive into cultural issues through a biblical lens. You ready, Tashiva? Oh yeah, I'm ready. All right, let's, let's go. go. We are so excited to be uh, talking today with a special guest, Miss Jasmine Holmes. What's up, Jasmine? Yes. And we are excited because we are going to be focusing this uh, season for our Sheroes of the Faith Mm -hmm. on Jasmine's uh, book that was released earlier in the 2021 year called Carved in Ebony. So we're so grateful for um, this resource that she has provided us. Um, And so we're just going to let y'all into Mm -hmm. who is Jasmine Holmes. So Jasmine is the author of Mother to Son, Letters to a Black Boy on Identity and Hope. She is also a contributing author for Identity Theft, Reclaiming the Truth of Our Identity in Christ and and His Testimonies, My Heritage, Women of Color on the Word of God. Which was edited by Yes, yes. Sister Christy, who was also on our Mm -hmm. podcast. Yes. And so so she and her husband, Philip are parenting three young sons in Jackson, Mississippi. Jasmine, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you and um, excited to have this conversation around three women from Carved in Ebony. So, yes. Leah, you're going to jump us straight in here yeah. today and um, get us going. So, yeah. So, Jasmine, we were, okay, first of all, tell us about Carved in Ebony and just how you got there and what this book is, what it means to you. Yeah. Um, Carved in Ebony is a collection of 10 biographies and reflections. Um, about 10 different Black women in American history and in Christian history. So most of the women, nine of the 10 women are all around like the same 50-year period right Mm -hmm. before the Civil War and right after the Civil War. And then um, Elizabeth Freeman is my outlier. She's like during the founding. Um, And how I wrote it is I was just really interested in um, researching and learning about these women. And, you know, as a writer, if you can get paid for researches that you want to do. Yeah. That's, that's perfect. Yeah. So winning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me. winning. Yeah. Yes. Winning all day. Yeah. 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 I love it. I love it. And it's, you're, you're mm-hmm. a former, uh, school teacher. Were you a history teacher? I was. Yeah. Okay. I for, okay. um, nine years, mostly middle school, English and history normally. Um, okay. I ended up just doing history. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, for us, like Carved in Ebony was a gift. Mm -hmm. I think as women of color, you're like, where are my stories, you know? Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. we just want to like say thank you for putting your work and your effort into this. It's a gift Mm -hmm. to all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just love that like overall, even just seeing the themes of like, God is a storytelling God, right? Mm -hmm. Like he writes the story on the lives of his people and I mean, essentially, that's the Bible is in a lot of ways. It's God right telling us his story through the lives of his people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also what we see in Carved in Ebony to say, right, the phrase uh, that we are God's image carved in Ebony is to say that 
like this story of God is written all over the lives of these 10 women. So mm-hmm. um, in this, in this series, we're going to be keeping in mind that as we talk like about these, we're going to highlight three women. Um, and as we talk about these three women, we're looking at like where her story ends, ours begins, right? So mm-hmm. it's just this flowing of God's story um, written on theirs and our lives as well. So yeah, so we're talking about three women. We're talking about Mariah Fearing, Sarah Stanley, and Frances Harper. Um, so let's just jump in. Mm-hmm. Uh, first in the series, we're going to be talking about Mariah. Um, and so tell us about Mariah Fearing. Where did you first discover her? Tell us about her life. Um, So Mariah Fearing was one of the women that I knew a little bit more about before I started the project because um, my mentor, Karen Ellis, loves Mariah Fearing Mm -hmm. and all things, you know, all things Edmiston and Mariah Fearing. Mm -hmm. And so um, Karen is actually, I was calling her Maria Fearing for a long time and Karen was doing like a talk one time and she was like, oh, Mariah Fearing. And I was like, yeah, 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 totally, totally. (laughs) Yes. Um, So, yeah, so... Karen actually is over the Edmiston Center, which Mm -hmm. is a center that focuses on kind of Mm -hmm. the ways that the marginalized and Mm -hmm. the persecuted church um, Mm -hmm. have developed doctrine and developed um, just Christian living. And so the black church fits into that category. Mm -hmm. Um, The black American church fits into that category. And so I work for the Emerson Center about 10 hours a week and just kind of partner with them and some research and, you know, getting, Mm -hmm. getting the word out about stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so before I even started officially working for them, was a huge fan, was like always at events and things. And the Emerson Center is named after Althea and Alonzo Edmiston, who mm-hmm. were two black missionaries to the Congo. Mm-hmm. And they were missionaries with Mariah Fearing. And so that's kind of how I mm-hmm. found out about Mariah and started reading about Mariah was through the Edmistons, through the Edmiston Center. Um, and the cool thing about her is that it's really hard to find information about Mariah Fearing. It's, mm-hmm. I'm very into primary sources. And so I was like, mm-hmm. Hey, how do I find a primary source? But she doesn't have an autobiography, you know, mm-hmm. she doesn't, she doesn't have letters. That are yeah. available. She doesn't yeah. have. And so, um, the, the closest thing that I was going to get to a primary source was a biography written by, um, Althea Brown Edmiston, mm. um, couldn't find it couldn't find it anywhere and it was in the middle of the the height of the first year of the pandemic i'm not gonna say the middle of the pandemic because like we still right and um you know was couldn't really get in, get into the library <clears throat> i'm an independent researcher i'm not connected to an institution so a lot of this research was just like me looking on ebay and trying to find things <laughs> <laughs> and i was able to find it the edmondson center bought it I went there and took some photocopies and got to learn all about Mariah. Wow. That is amazing. Wow. So Mariah was the only one of these three women that we're highlighting who was born enslaved, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. she, and and then she lived like a super long life after that. So like- 99. Yeah. Tell us just some highlights from her life um, and what made her like remarkable to want to include in Carved in Ebony. So she was born into slavery in Alabama um, in 1837, mm-hmm. I think, 1837. Mm-hmm. Um, I have three women who were born in 1830. Nope. I have three women who were born in 1837. She's born in 1838, I think. But 
somewhere around there mm-hmm. in Alabama. And it was a Presbyterian family um, that were her enslavers. And um, just side note, I have learned so much uh, in this research about using careful um, language, mm-hmm. um, saying mm-hmm. like she was enslaved, calling mm-hmm. you know her enslavers instead of her masters. Mm-hmm. And she was so, not a slave. She was enslaved. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. Mm-hmm. Her identity was so much more That's than, so good. than that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something that I really learned during this research. Um, but her enslavers were were Presbyterian minister and his wife. And the Presbyterian minister's wife um, was really fond of Mariah mm-hmm. and raised her alongside her children and taught her catechism, taught her of the faith. Um, but lest we forget ourselves, she did not teach Mariah how to read. Come on. Mm-hmm. She, mm-hmm. you know, she did not pay Mariah for her labor. Right. Um, she, so it's really important to like, I feel it's very important to say that because sometimes when I talk about Mariah's life, people are like, oh, so she was like, they loved her like a daughter. And it's like, I don't know. No, I don't no, have pictures no. on my kids mm-hmm. that say they can't go anywhere. Like, right, I, that's right. not, that's not how <laughs> it works. Um, and they didn't free her till after the Civil War. So after the Civil War, she was freed. She was in her 30s, wanted to learn how to read and write. So Mariah is 30 years old, sitting in classrooms yeah. with five, six, seven, eight-year-olds. Oh, my and gosh. I have goosebumps. Yes. She was committed to it. She and, was committed. Um because of her work with the Presbyterian family, she was really good at domestic work. And so she did a lot of domestic labor um, mm-hmm. and ended up being able to uh, earn enough money to buy her own house, which mm-hmm. for any woman of that period Ooh. is amazing. Yes. Right. Yes. Um, so she was 50 when William Henry Shepard came to the school where she worked mm-hmm. and um, talked about his mission, like about his mission to the Congo. And she was like, oh my goodness, William Henry Shepard was black missionary. Um, and she just was blown away by his work, blown away by his life, blown away by his testimony. Yeah, yeah. And so she decided that she need, like, she had to get to the Congo. Um, but the mission agency was like, "You're 50, and that's mm, right." So you know, because in in the 1870s, 50s, not 50 then is not 50 now. Right. So they were like, "Ah, I don't think that's going to be. Mm-hmm. Good. We're not going to be able to fund it for you." Mm-hmm. Um, and so Mariah sold her house and funded it herself. Mm. and um, went overseas with the Shepherds and the Edmistons, and it is just the the sheer amount of work it takes to get into the Congo is yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's like you have to sail across the ocean, you have to get to the continent, then Congo mm-hmm. is in a landlocked place, so you gotta yeah. like, walk across, you know, you gotta, you gotta make your way across mm-hmm. Africa, you know, you have to get on the river, then you have to like flow down the river for days until you get mm-hmm. to where you be, and then you have to set up a camp, and you know, mm-hmm. there's, not, there's not buildings there in the sense of like mm-hmm. what we, mm-hmm. what we in the West are used to, so they gotta build their right. homes, and right. their school, and so she kind of takes part in this enterprise, um, works in Congo for many years, has one furlough in America, comes back, has another one, doesn't get to come back because at this point she is very aged. Um, she she barely has any teeth left. Mm-hmm. Like, she has just given her entire life. She left it all in the field. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She left it all in the field. And she wants to come back. Like, she wants, she always kept a little mm-hmm. bit of money Mm-hmm. set aside um, just in case, mm-hmm. just in case she was able to go back. And mm-hmm. she ended up teaching in Alabama, mm-hmm. um, serving at a Presbyterian church in Alabama, and then she mm-hmm. died when she was 99 years old. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, you know, wow. based on where she began, 
mm-hmm. and where her life ended. Mm-hmm. I think of that phrase of like, we are ancestors' wildest dreams. Yeah. Like she was her ancestors' wildest dreams. Mm-hmm. Like the all that she overcame mm-hmm. and that she, um, you know, even, even after achieving those dreams, like did not hold it, but released it to go pursue the kingdom of God in Congo mm-hmm. and then supporting her own mission work there mm-hmm. until yeah. people could see that like, yo, like God is at work through this woman. Mm-hmm. And so y'all want to jump on board yeah. and like be a part of it, you yeah. know? And yeah. it's like how that, pin, like, it's just, wow. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm thinking about, you know, when you were um, doing the research, as you were discovering all of this, what characteristics of God or what did you learn about the character mm-hmm. of God that her story was just testifying to? Like, you know, um, yeah, I'm I'm interested to, as you were sort of connecting those dots, you know? Yeah, I just, I, the thing that I took away was that he never wastes anything. Mm-hmm. Even the fact that Mariah was born into slavery and was a domestic servant, mm-hmm. um, which is super rare for somebody like her, because mm-hmm. you see pictures of Malaya, homegirl was chocolate. Like, mm-hmm. So her being able to work in, in, the, house, in the house. In the house, Ooh. even. I know, girl. That's true. Yeah. That's like, wow. Yeah. So right. She, you know, was was very, very skilled at yeah. the domestic arts. And that's what she ended up teaching the girls mm-hmm. at um, the Pantops home in Congo was she, that was her whole thing, like teaching them how to take care of the home, teaching mm-hmm. them how to, mm-hmm. you know, have those marketable skills, teaching them how to, you know, and then you think about like her going to school with children, which it had mm-hmm. to be, I mean, it, it mm-hmm. couldn't have been easy, right? It was mm-hmm. probably incredibly I would. I think I would feel a little bit embarrassed to be sitting in a classroom. Yeah, with her humility. And and That's yes, what I thought her, of. Her extreme humility. Yeah, um, and just how God used that to where, like, somebody who was born into slavery and was wasn't even allowed to read, ended up going to the Congo and helping to translate the Bible into the language of the people. Oh, you know, it's like it's just it's it's, it's right. Like there's right. so many parallels yeah. in her life. Yes. Where God's hands are just. God's hands were just on her from the beginning. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. He's like redeeming it all. Yeah. Using it. Jasmine, give us some context of like Congo, the Congo that Mariah landed in, right? Like what is the, I mean, it's colonized, right? Or it's Mm. being colonized. Mm -hmm. And then you have enslavement happening in Congo, which is different from American slavery. Mm -hmm. Um, How is different? How is the same? What, what was sort of the situation that she came into there? Mm -hmm. So um, African colonization is what's hot in the streets uh, Mm -hmm. right now. Uh, everybody mm. has a constant, everybody has a country. Mm-hmm. Everybody is like stripping mm. it for everything they can strip it for. Mm-hmm. Um, the transatlantic slave trade is, is gone. Um, Africa's economy is wrecked because mm-hmm. it has become so dependent on the transatlantic slave mm-hmm. trade. Mm-hmm. And Westerners are swooping in into, into these countries and like mm-hmm. taking the resources. And mm-hmm. so Leopold um, is in Belgium, he's king in Belgium, and he is like, I see all these other people with these colonies, and like, I would, I want a colony, like, I, I want to do what everybody else is doing, mm-hmm. and so, but Leopold is is different from everybody else because he is wily. So he tells 
America and other countries in the West, I want to go into Congo and I want to like spread the gospel and I want to help these people who are just like this, this poor, ignorant, fledgling nation. And mm-hmm. I just want to do good things mm-hmm. in Congo. And so mm-hmm. he gets the support of Western nations this way because they're like, oh, yeah. Mm. Great. Help, that that's help them. They need your help. Mm-hmm. Help them. They need you. And they so need you. he gets some funding. He he gets, you know, he gets Congo and mm-hmm. he starts sending people, sending folks in there. And it, pretty soon it is very clear that Leopold has no philanthropic um, mm. intentions mm-hmm. in, in Congo. Um, mm-hmm. He's very, very interested in rubber. Rubber is Congo's like big export. And so he has like men, women, and children working in rubber mines. And um, actually one of the um, interesting things about the story is the first time that the phrase crimes against humanity was ever used was by a black reporter who went from from America who went to the Congo, mm. saw on the ground the way that the Congolese are being treated by the Belgians and crimes against humanity, the phrase was born. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're working in these horrific conditions yeah. and Leopold is kind of famous for deflecting. So whenever somebody would be like, yo, it's kind of terrible how mm-hmm. you are enslaving children. He'd be like, well, you know, the British do things like that in their colonies or the Americans do things like that in their colonies, mm-hmm. the French do that. You know, it was always like somebody else who was really good at deflecting and talking mm-hmm. about what other people mm-hmm. were doing. Um, but all told, the death toll after King Leopold's um, forces left uh, B- Belgian Congo was 10 million at least. Sheesh. Mm. Um, and for just for a, a thought of like, like what, what do those numbers look like? Yeah. Um, in Germany, you know, the Holocaust, six million Jewish people were killed and they were being systematically exterminated. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. The purpose was extermination. Mm-hmm. The purpose in the Congo was not extermination. Right. The purpose in the Congo was was control. Mm-hmm. Um, the purpose in the Congo was export. Mm-hmm. Um, so that just gives you an idea of just the the brutal nature wow. of Belgian control of Congo. Wow. Mm. Mm-mm. Wow. Mm-mm. Wow. Yeah. And and then how did that impact you when you first learned about uh Mariah's face in faith in the face of such like crimes against humanity, literally? Yeah. I so I knew she was amazing, right? Because she mm-hmm. she She amazing. We like, know that. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. right. She like she bought her own house. Yeah. She, mm-hmm. You know. All these things, right? Mm-hmm. So I already knew she was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then learning about Congo and learning. So her major focus in Congo was the Pantop School, um, mm-hmm. mostly for girls, but I think she took some boys as well. Mm-hmm. And um, she was basically constantly involved in standing between these children and Belgian forces. So mm-hmm. um, she would have to go and rescue these children. So sometimes she would trade things for them. Like mm. there would be either Congolese mm. soldiers or yeah. Belgians who wanted these children, wanted them to work in mines, wanted them for mm-hmm. whatever purposes. And she would be like, well, she mm-hmm. would like, trade a pound of salt. Mm-hmm. And be like, look, give me the salt for the kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's just in the business of rescuing these yeah. children. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we always want to be careful because so mm-hmm. much of the way that we have done missions as a country, um, even as black missionaries, has been focused more on colonialism than on mm-hmm. the gospel, mm-hmm. right? And so there are some, there are plenty of accounts from missionaries who are well-intentioned, who had some pretty 
ignorant things to say about the people that they were ministering to mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and, and with and among. And um, it's not to say that Mariah's attitude towards the Congolese was always one that was like, wow, she really understands the, the inherent dignity right. of these people. Um, she was not perfect. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. even the fact that she and other missionaries were there was the result of some level of colonization That's that... Right. Mm-hmm. Wasn't, yeah. wasn't great, right? Mm-hmm. So we have to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, King Leopold's reign in Belgium is is creating hordes of orphans and mm-hmm. at-risk children, and yeah. Mariah's presence saved lives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I feel she like... She drew it, a line at a certain point. She yeah. was just like, listen, no. It, it's, it <laughs> you recalls, know? I mean, it reminds me, we have to always keep it in the forefront of our minds that God is always working in imperfect systems. Like, there yeah. is no perfect system on this earth where God's like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna wait until that one... You know, and then enter in there. But it, like mm-hmm. he's constantly at work in imperfect systems mm-hmm. with imperfect people. Mm-hmm. And none of that stops his hand, mm-hmm. um, you know, from loving and caring for mm-hmm. the orphans, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, who who are the vulnerable, right? The widows, right. the orphans, uh, yeah. the fatherless. And so mm-hmm. we just see, yeah, so much of God's hand at work uh, through her. And then even just the fact that, like, she didn't have her own children, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I was thinking about how... Spiritual mother. So last season on the podcast, we talked mm-hmm. a lot about the cultural mandate in Genesis yeah. to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And really, like, deconstructing that mandate is not just about having babies. Like, mm-hmm. fruitfulness mm-hmm. is about yeah. God's goodness in the earth multiplied and mm-hmm. his children multiplied. Mm-hmm. And so... Mariah's life it, in many ways fulfilled that even mm. in the even in the fact that she never had children yeah because what was it like 40 children maybe even more that passed through mm-hmm. that she what was the name of her you gave her the name uh mother from far away was, mm-hmm. was what came up in the research right yeah, yeah that's what they called her yeah. yeah I'm like she was she was fulfilling the mandate she was being fruitful and multiplying, even though she never physically bore her own children. Mm-hmm. And so it's just a blessing, I think, for us to expand the view of what it means to obey and, and pursue the cultural mandate for our listeners and for mm-hmm. women that can look like more than yeah. babies. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also just for women who think, you know, um, oh, my ge- my younger years were you know, riddled with sorrow and, you know, deep pain or what have you. And knowing that like all of it is being used and also that God still wants you to be um, on mission and, and live a life of purpose. Ladies, if you're enjoying the ministry and content of The Urban Christian Woman, would you take a minute to write a review and give us a rating on iTunes? Our goal is to get truth into the hands of urban women. You can help us by leaving even a one-sentence review and some stars. This simple act will help increase our visibility for more women to find this podcast and resources to help equip them in their everyday lives. So girl, what you waiting for? Just go ahead and do it right now. And if you haven't yet, join our community on social media. You can find us on Instagram at The Urban Christian Woman, Facebook, The Urban Christian Woman, and on our website, which is theurbanchristianwoman.com.
Jasmine, as we talked about at the beginning, we're like looking at their stories and we're saying, where do ours begin where theirs ends? And so mm-hmm. Mariah had a full life, 99 beautiful years mm-hmm. with pain, sorrow, mm-hmm. victory, like success from mm-hmm. the Lord. Um, where, where her life ends, like where did you see yours being drawn out um, and God drawing you into that story? Yeah. Um, I... With Mariah, it's so interesting because I have always been fascinated by missionaries and mm-hmm. the testimony of missionaries. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was a kid, I read I read the stories of missionaries all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Gladys Howard and Mary Slessor and Amy Carmichael and mm-hmm. just, you know, I, I loved reading biographies and I loved, like, just learning. And I... Um, did not really have any biographies. I didn't know that black missionaries mm-hmm. existed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that might sound ridiculous to some people, but it's just true. Like, yeah. or maybe I did, but like, if you were like, okay, what are their names? I'd be like, right, right, right. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one of the, one of the major takeaways for me with Mariah's story was just that we don't have to know about people in order mm-hmm. for them to have been, incredibly faithful witnesses like her mm-hmm. fame is not the measure of the impact that she had on the kingdom of god mm-hmm. and the more that i learn about her and the more that i reflect on her the more that i think about that because i think so often you know in order to even like be a nonfiction writer you have to have some kind of social media presence and you you know you mm-hmm. have to like you have to keep followers engaged mm-hmm. you have to you know kind of in a sense you have to kind of like let jesus says not to let your left hand know what your right hand is doing and social media is kind of like ah. I mean, we need to know all those things. Show you. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Let me show you my left and my right. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so uh, just watching Mariah's faithful service in yeah. a time where it just wasn't being broadcast and mm-hmm. to the extent that it's even just not being broadcast now. Yeah. Um was just really encouraging for me that mm-hmm. like all this time I had no idea that she existed and that did not diminish her faithfulness yeah yeah it reminds me of um the passage of scripture that says whatever you do in word or deed do as unto mm-hmm. the lord and so you know it was not for any of those reasons she really had a rootedness of like this is for the lord mm-hmm. whether whether successfully or with failures mm-hmm. in my humanity mm-hmm. it all belongs to the lord and you know i think as women today just like what you're saying because of online presence because of the extreme pursuit of like heavy influencer culture it's like man i got to do something big i got to do something great mm-hmm. and it's like greatness is Sweeping the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, greatness is following up with that sister and having her in your home and mm-hmm. having a meal and hearing her heart and you praying for her or, mm-hmm. you know, um, or, you know, doing the more difficult things, you know, mm-hmm. um, as well. And so, yeah, that's that's great. That's yeah. great. Yeah. 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 I would love what would be. um if there's one thing that you want to leave women with, particularly our podcast is for women who live in the urban context, women of color, women who live in the city. But what would you want them to take away from her life? If there's one thing that you want them to to take away or exhort them towards and encourage them towards? 
Mariah's life was the one that I used to talk about, to learn more about the black church in America as the persecuted church, Um, to learn Mm. more about the fact that, you know, when you think about persecution, what do you think about? Like people not being allowed to assemble together, um, people not being allowed to read the Bible or read it in their language, people not having access to the entire story of scripture, um, people not being allowed to preach and proclaim the scripture. And all of that is true of the black um, mm-hmm. enslaved church mm-hmm. in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that that was really impactful for me, I had no idea. Like, I knew that it was against the law to teach enslaved people to read, but, like, an Alabama law was, like, you could not teach any black people to read. Like, enslaved mm. or free. Mm. We do not want you to be literate mm. because that's dangerous. That is mm. dangerous. Um, and so... Wow. There's a, there's a pastor, I think it's Daniel Payne, was a... Um, a pastor who ended up in the North in the Episcopal Church, and he talks about how slavery brutalizes man. It brutalizes the enslaver, and it Mm. brutalizes the enslaved, and Mm -hmm. it cuts off the enslaved's access to the scriptures and the word of God. And Mm. so Mariah was really interesting because she grew up in this home of a person whose job was to proclaim the gospel to his congregation and, you know, as kind of like Mm. a— uh, what do I want to say? Like, it's kind of a trickle down. She was able to be catechized and she was able mm-hmm. to learn and she was able to um, just have the privilege mm-hmm. of being close to God's word in a fullness and in a way mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. a lot of people around her did not have the opportunity. Um, and it wasn't until she was free that she was able to read for herself. Mm-hmm. One of the hugest takeaways that I have um, from our eye story is just the resiliency of the black church and the mm-hmm. fact that regardless of the persecution that has befallen it in our country and in our context, it's it still thrived. And mm-hmm. in a time where black people in America were in survival mode in the mm-hmm. Jim Crow South, there were people who were moving past survival mode in order to bring the gospel to others, mm-hmm. which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. like there's so many different fronts that we can fight on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but seeing that Mariah was concerned about the lost, um, even after everything that she'd been through and even after everything that there was still to be done um, mm-hmm. in America is just is huge. And so that's kind of my takeaway and my encouragement to um, women who hear her story. The fact that no matter how or where we find ourselves, um, there is always an opportunity to point others to Christ. Mm-hmm. And the Black church in America is like emblematic of that fact. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dope. Yeah. Yeah. Let me pray for us as we close out the podcast. Father, we thank you for uh, Mariah Fearing. We thank you for her witness. Um, We thank you for Jasmine who uh, was used by your spirit to discover it and bring it to our hearts and our eyes. And so Father, um, I do pray um, just as to that end that Jasmine has exhorted us to God that we, uh, no matter how, um, no matter the difficulty, Lord God, that we would pursue your kingdom work, God, that we would um, uh, be witnesses wherever we are, Father, and that um, that we would not allow um, the things of this world to hinder us, but God, that we would um, rely on you and understand that because we have been given access, God, that, um, that we have a responsibility with that access. And um, so, Father, I pray that for women today, that uh, their hearts would uh, 
would, would go towards that end. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have a blessed day, ladies.